I title it Prayer Time. And uh, as you know, we went to a prayer conference this past week and, and uh, for several days, and we go every year actually. And, uh, but the thing about it is the Lord spoke to me about teaching people to pray. And uh, sometimes uh, if we don't know how to pray, then, then it, that, that frustration comes then. And, uh, but I, as I talked about Sunday, you need to have a conversation with your father just like he's your daddy and talk to him in prayer fellowship. Prayer is fellowshipping. And, uh, I read a few scriptures and I'm going to go back for a couple of them. I'm going to jump over to what I want to minister tonight. And, uh, uh, John Wesley said, it seems God is limited by, it seems God is limited by our prayer life that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. I'm telling your prayer, your, your prayer is important. And so uh, in Luke 18, 1, I'm just going to read the, the one, the one first, first uh, verse of that. Jesus said, the latter part of that verse said, Jesus said that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. Men ought always to pray. How often should we pray? Always. always. And not what? Lose heart. One translation says, always pray and never lose hope. Another one says, pray con- consistently and never quit. The Amplified says they ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, lose heart, and give up. You know, it's easy to give up. It's easy to give up and just say, the heck with it. Man, I've been praying, nothing seems to change. Well, listen to me. You've got to change that attitude in prayer, first of all. If you don't change your attitude in prayer, you're not going to change what you're believing God for. See, a double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. And I'll be honest with you, there's been a lot of times in my life that I was double-minded in my prayer and my confession. And I'm really working on that to get this right because once you get your heart and mouth connected, something's going to happen. And uh, Luke 11, 1 says, the disciples came to Jesus, verse 1, and said, teach us to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. So if Jesus had to teach his disciples to pray, I think the pastors and the ministers need to teach their congregations to pray. Amen. I need to be taught to pray. That's why I uh, uh, read books on prayer. That's why we go to prayer conferences and when it's specifically for prayer and that's what it's designed to and that's exactly what we hear about is prayer. That's exactly what we do is pray. When you spend uh, about 15 or 20 minutes hearing the Word and then the next 45 minutes to an hour you spend praying, it makes a difference in your life. And so I want to learn to pray and at the same time as a pastor I know the the, the power that, that prayer makes available to us and I understand how things change in our lives if we'll become a person of prayer. And so if, if I want to see things change for me and for you, I need to teach you how to do it. And so I'm, I'm just going to preach simply on this. I'm talking about just the, the basics on prayer and such as that. And, and we'll just kind of work and go as we go. And I won't try to overdo us any time. And, and I, I, we, we can't OD on the Word of God anyway. And uh, when they said teach us to pray, here's what that word teach meant. It means to instruct us to pray, to inform us how to pray, to communicate to another the knowledge of that which he was before ignorant, and then to deliver any doctrine to teach us, the art of prayer, principles or words for instruction. And so we know that we need to be taught the Word of God. And listen, prayer is not only taught, it's caught. You have to catch the spirit of, faith, of, of, of prayer. And uh, I, I, when I heard Rusty say something one time, and I've, I've made the mention of this many times, and Rusty said this, prayer is a labor until it becomes a passion. Has anybody ever struggled to pray and just just get in a prayer time and, and uh, you feel like, my goodness gracious, this is hard? Listen to me, one of the most 
uh, one of the most un, what do they call un, unattended meetings is a prayer meeting. Is a prayer meeting. And I don't know why, and, and, and of course when we go to Tulsa up there, which their church is pretty big, but I'm, we're, we used to have a th- over a thousand something people, uh, men and women alike, all, all in prayer and agreement and such as that. And, and so uh, we love to go there for that reason. But the thing about it is, is God wants us to understand the value God puts on prayer. And if we'll put the value on prayer God puts on prayer, it won't bother us to pray. It won't bother us to pray. And uh, so I'm going to just talk a little bit today, and I, I kind of wrote this down. I, I read this, uh, 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 how many was in here Sunday morning? How many wasn't in here Sunday morning? Well, good, you get to hear something you didn't hear, and the other y'all get to hear me say something different about what y'all done heard. I want to go to Luke chapter 39. 22, I'm sorry, not 30. I don't think there's a... Luke 22, 39. And I read this, and uh, I want to read it again for the sake of those of you that weren't here. And this was when Jesus was out at the Mount of Olives before He was to be arrested and carried to the, uh, the cross. And uh, in verse 39 says, Then come, I'm in a New Living Translation, Teresa. And uh, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, there's what he told the disciples, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Pray that you will not give in to temptation. Listen, when you have a prayer life, prayer life, prayer is fellowshipping with God, a relationship with God. And he said this, pray lest you give in to temptation. Here's what he's trying to tell us is this. If you'll have a prayer life, and you'll be close to God, you won't give in to the temptations that come your way to live in sin or do such as that. And uh, he wouldn't... Listen, you can get on your knees all day long and say, God, I pray that I don't give in to temptation. I pray that I don't give in to temptation. I pray that I don't give in to temptation. That's not what he was telling them. He was telling them, pray and have a prayer life and you won't enter into temptation. Amen? I wrote this down because as I was reading this at home, but when I was studying it... uh. Uh, a study on prayer, uh, Saturday night, I believe it was. The Lord spoke, said this, these things right here to me, and I wrote them down. And, uh, I wrote, prayer is fellowshipping with God. Prayer is fellowshipping with God. You ought to love to fellowship with God. How many likes to visit with friends? I mean, you can visit with friends and you can just talk all day long. Laugh, cut up, have a good old time. Well, you're to have that same time with God. Huh? You can laugh with God. You can visit with God. It's kind of far-fetched when people think, you mean God will actually visit with me? He'll visit. In fact, He wants to visit with you. He wants to talk to you. Huh? I mean, just like I was having discussion with God over my, my giving. He loved to tell me what to do. He don't make me do it because I didn't have to do it. But I chose to listen. And I got benefits from it. Blessings from it. And so prayer is fellowshipping with God, and I love fellowshipping with God. Prayer will keep us close to God. Prayer will keep us close to God. Don't you want to be close to God? I want to be close to God. I, what he say? If you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Prayer causes you to be close to God. Listen to this. Prayer will cause us to be sensitive to God. Prayer will cause us to be sensitive to God. You know, we need to be sensitive to the voice of God. 
You know, people say, well, I never hear the voice of God. Why not? Why not? Somebody said, well, I, uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, being close to God. Is that what I said that last part? Uh, sensitive to God, which we need to be sensitive to God and, and close to God. And, and a lot of times Linda will be in, in our house and Linda will be in the back part of the house. But she's trying to talk to me. I can't understand anything she's saying. So I just don't answer. I don't answer because I can't understand her why she's too far away. And so I'll just sit there and wait till she gets back in there close to me and I'll say, now what did you say? And she'll tell me. And, and sometimes people feel that way with God. They feel like they're so far away from God, they don't ever hear from God. Well, if you don't, draw closer. Draw closer. Huh? It's kind of like the, the guy thought his uh, wife was going deaf. And so he wanted to, uh, to test her, and so he set her down on the couch, and, and he walked to the back wall and, he, and stood there, and he said, can you hear me? Nothing happened. So he walked back a little closer to the couch and said, can you hear me now? And nothing has walked back and got right up against the couch, can you hear me now? She said, for the third time, I said, I heard you. Well, we don't know who that had the hearing problem, but it wasn't her. And I tell you, sometimes we get that same way. Can you hear me now? So you say, well, I never hear God, but I'm telling you what, God's always talking to those who want to hear. If you don't want to hear, you won't hear. Huh? You can turn a deaf ear to God anytime you want to. Prayer will cause us to be... Listen, this just jumped up my spirit, and I really didn't know why, because I wasn't just out of, out of my spirit. And prayer will cause us to be liable to God. Prayer will cause us to be liable to God. Liable means this. Liable means bound to God, responsible to God, and answerable to God. Liable means bound to God, responsible, and answerable to God. And we all will be that. And I'm telling you, prayer will do that for us. And so Jesus went on to say in verse 41, He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Now, you've got to understand, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus. He had a purpose in this life. He came for the very purpose of dying for our sins. He was the lamb uh, slain from the foundation of the world. He had a purpose in coming. But even then, you got to un- listen, we need to know this about Jesus. I know most of you here know this, but some may not know it. Jesus understands where you're at. He understands what you're going through because he was tempted in all manner just like we are, yet without sin. He never gave in to the temptation. Isn't that what he said? Pray that you enter not or give not give in to temptation. Well, how many knows his temptation was to do this thing a different, different way than what God said? Sometimes that's our temptation. To do things a different way than what God wants us to do it. But no, he had a purpose. And when he said, he went on to say, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Isn't that way we are to be? God, I want your will to be done in my life, not mine. Come on now, we all got plans. There's many plans in the mind of man, but it's God's will and counsel that will be established. So sometimes we'd say, well, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was doing that. Listen, Jesus was, listen, this was an agonizing prayer for Jesus. Why? Because he read Isaiah 53. He read the scriptures concerning him about the brutality that would come upon him, the beating, the, the, the abuse, the hanging on the cross. 
all the things he had to go through for you and I, and his flesh was literally uh, trying to reject the plan of God. Isn't that what our, our flesh does sometimes? Come on, somebody help me. At least say, oh me, help me, Jesus. I mean, we're, we're all sometimes we pray and while we seek God, He gives us an answer and we start trying to find another way to do it. But Jesus finally said, that, then uh, it says, uh, yet not my will, but yours will be not, not yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I'm telling you, he was in agonizing when he, when he was praying over the, uh, the pressure that was upon him. But listen to me. He said this when he prayed, an angel, when he got to the place where God, not my will, but yours be done, the Bible says an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. How many of you would like to have some strength from heaven? Huh? I'm telling you, when you're praying and you're, listen, the Bible says, uh, Paul said it this way, I crucify my flesh daily. He said, there's times I have to literally crucify my flesh and say, not my will. Basically, he said, not my will, but yours be done, God. Because sometimes our flesh just wants to do things completely opposing or opposite what God says. But he said this, I want your will to be done. And that's what we need to be praying. Everybody say this with me. God, not my will, but yours be done. I'm telling you, sometimes we just need to seek God and, and say, God, what's your will and your purpose in this? And sometimes, listen, that, that's supplicating to God. And he goes on to say, and at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Tells them again. Pray that you will not enter into temptation. Did you know if we look at Peter's life, Peter was one of, one of Jesus' uh, fine disciples to be apostle, one of the three that he took everywhere with him, everywhere he went. And all of a sudden, Jesus told him one day, he said, Peter, Satan has asked for you. Satan has asked for you. One translation says Satan has asked for all of you. He's talking about all the, all the disciples, all the apostles. Did you know Satan's after your life? People don't want to hear that, but he is. He comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. But Jesus said this to him. He said, but I've prayed for you. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know who's praying for you right now? At the right hand of the Father, Jesus of Nazareth. He says he's ever making intercession for us. He's praying for us, but he said this to Peter, and listen to what he's told him. And when you have returned. In other words, Satan's trying to sift you like wheat's what he told him, trying to separate you from the will and plan and purpose of God for your life. But I've prayed for you that when you return, strengthen your brethren. Well, what did Peter tell him? No way. Kind of way I'm talking to Texas. If somebody asked me, no way. Jose. Huh? No way. There's no way, Jesus, I would ever... In fact, Jesus said that when Peter told him this, I will go with you to death. He said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied three times that you even know me. No way, Jesus. No way, no way, no way, no way. Not me. No way. But see, Jesus knows all about us. Do you know that? He knows all about us. 
And when Peter finally, when it come right down to it, uh, when they took Jesus and hauled him off and took him up to the praetorium and, and took him into the court, here, here's Peter falling at a distance. That, well, that's when you really get in trouble when you start following Jesus at a distance. He followed at a distance. You start following Jesus from a distance, you're getting in trouble. Thank you for your enthusiasm and word of life tonight. And so one little girl come up and said, hey. Maybe they didn't say it like that, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know why that come out. <laughs> and he said, you were also one of them. You're one of Jesus' disciples. No, I'm not. No, not me. I'm not one of his disciples. No, 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 no way. I'm not him. It wasn't too long ago another person come along and said, you were also one of them, weren't you? He said, no, I don't, I don't know him. I didn't know him. I wasn't no part of that. No, 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 no. And then the third time, a young lady come and ask him, you were also, because your speech betrays you, he said, I do not know the man. The Bible says he started cussing. And then when he looked, Jesus was looking right at him. And then guess what happened? A rooster crowed. That's why preachers like to eat chicken. <laughs> I like to go and eat chicken. <laughs> Dang chickens, we have no reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and anyway, that's a plus for bushes. <laughs> anyway. Where, were the, where the heck were I at? <laughs> the third time the rooster crowed. And Peter, listen to what? Peter remembered what Jesus said. And then the Bible says he went out and wept miserably. He went and wept miserably. Why? You know why he wept so miserably? So miserably is because he did what he's told Jesus he would not do. Now listen to me, I'm, I'm asking, I'm doing this, but I, I guess just as the Lord leading me to do this, but how many times have we told God we'd do something when we didn't? You know we give the devil such ammunition. He will pound us and beat us down over what we said we would do or wouldn't do, and we do it anyway. Well, God's a forgiving God. When Jesus rose from the dead, I, I didn't intend to tell this story. When Jesus rose from the dead, what was the first thing he told Mary Magdalene? He said, go tell my disciples and Peter that I want to meet with them in Jerusalem. So he brought Peter right in, let Peter know, listen to me, you're still important to me. You're still important to me. You still have a purpose in your life. See, sometimes when we mess up and we, 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 we think we ruin our lives, God will still say, I still need you. I still want you. I can restore you. I can help you if you will just let me. Huh? You know, Peter could have chose not to go back and meet with him. You said he had no choice. Yeah, he had a choice. He could have said, no, I, I, I can't do that. There's no way God can forgive me. See, I believe a lot of people that won't serve God because they don't think God can forgive them. They don't think God will forgive them. And you know why they believe that? Because they don't know God. They don't know Him. 
Because when you know God, you know He's love. I said He's love. And so, see, so in the whole process of deal, uh, uh, God brought restoration to Peter when He said He wouldn't wouldn't ever do it, and He did it. And I'm telling you something. What would have happened? What did He tell? Here's what happened. He said, "If you would pray, you won't give in to the temptation." Did you know He? The temptation to deny Jesus came before he entered into it. You're following me. The, the, the temptation to deny Jesus who he was came before he did it. What did Jesus say? Pray that you do not give in to temptation. He could have said, yes, I know him. He's my Savior and my Lord. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. So why would he say that? Isn't that what he told him in, in, in Matthew 13 when he said, Who do men say that I am? He was the one popped up by the Holy Ghost and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the one Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You got that revelation from God, not from man. So temptations come, and if we're, listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling this by the Holy Ghost. If you are praying and you're prayed up and you're hooked up with God, I'm telling you, you're more likely not to give in to the temptation than you are to give in to the temptation. Is this all right tonight? And so, <clears throat> Jesus went to the cross and all, and see, Jesus also taught us about prayer. And let me let me go to at least one passage of Scripture. I want to talk about how Jesus taught us about prayer. And I'm going to go to Matthew. Matthew 6, real quick. I won't keep you much longer. And I'm going to plug a book. Can I plug a book? I'm going to plug a book. When I started, when I started, uh, 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 God started dealing with me about teaching on prayer and such as that. And, and, uh, the Lord brought this book to my mind. That's a book I read many years ago, many years ago, which I have, I don't know, many of you may not know who Kenneth E. Hagin is, but, you know, we went to, uh, correspondence courses through Bible school, through the mail with him in all, Rhema Bible School in Oklahoma. And, uh, he did it. He was a great man of God, a great, I trust him. I trust what he reads. I read, I got nearly all of his books, read nearly every single one of them. And, uh, but I pulled this out and let me tell you something. You're, you're to get this book. And if not, we can order some if you would read it and, uh, you could buy it from us. Prevailing Prayer to Peace. That's the most one simplest book to teach you on prayer you'll ever find. And, uh, it's so good. And so when I started reading it and I started reading it again and, and, uh, just kind of meditating on things in it and, and uh, actually, I'm going to read a couple of things that he said in here. But first of all, I'm going to read, start reading right here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And it says this. Let's go, let's go ahead and do it in the New Living Translation also. So you have to look at the wall. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. He said, don't pray like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is an actor, someone who acts the part but really isn't. 
And so a hypocrite is an actor, someone who's, who basically, one, one thing says it's somebody that puts on a mask. A mask. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who, who pray and thinking on the publicly so people can see them praying. Now, that's talking about public prayer, but at the same time, there's, we have public prayer, but yet our, the motives of our heart ought to be right in doing it. Because he said they're going to get their reward, but it's only going to be the applause of men. That's going to be their reward. And the, the Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of Hypocrites says, one who feigns to be what he's not. One who has the form of godliness without the power. Or who assumes an appearance of, of piety and virtue when he is destitute of true religion. And so he said, don't be like them who thinks just standing out in the corners and on the market praying that you're going to be heard because of that. No, he says, no, 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 you're going to get your reward and that'll be all of it. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private when your father who sees everything everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is heathens. One word, the translation of New King James says the heathen do. Heathen are people who don't know God or without God. He says, don't be like the heathens. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, uh, have need of before you ask him. He knows there. Listen, so we understand God says, listen to me. Sometimes we, we think God's going to hear us because we, the, the length of prayers we praise or how many times we say it. And listen, that's not what he's saying at all. You say, if I say it, if I know if I just say it enough times, if I say it enough times, if I say it enough times, God's going to answer. Not so, not according to this. Every prayer has to be uh, uh, enveloped with faith. But here's what he's talking about. There's a prayer life and there's a, there's a public prayer life and there's also a private prayer life. And every single one of us need to have a private prayer life. Every one of us needs to have a private time with God. I don't know how old you care how old you are or how young you are. You need to have a time away with just you and God. Amen? Come on, that's going to be well, some of the greatest times of fellowship you'll have with God is by yourself. <clears throat> and so he goes on to say, pray like this. Then he said, pray like this. People's called this the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. You know, I was uh, uh, in this book, it, uh, Brother Hagin said this, and I want to read it. I wrote it down, but I, I've got some more to read in here real quick. He said this, Public prayer is necessary and vital in the life of the church. Praying together as a family is necessary and vital to the spiritual strength of the home. But private prayer is essential to the spiritual life of the individual. It is when we grow in spiritual stature. It should not be <clears throat> just at those crisis times when we're driven to our knees. We should be spiritually prepared for such times through a daily prayer time which we set aside for fellowship with God. And listen, it's essential that we have a private prayer life and not just in crisis times. You know, some people, they only pray during crisis, when something happens. 
We ought not wait for that. We're to have a relationship with God up to that point. I've seen many times people, and listen to me, I'm not knocking anybody or saying nothing about anybody. That's between them and God. But I've had people come and ask us to pray for certain things, pray for certain things, pray for them and everything. And they were sincere. They were faithful, doing all the things that they want. But all of a sudden, when everything got all and they got what they was believing God for, they just, they just vanish. They just vanish. See, listen, we're not just in this to get what we can get out of God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But God wants to bless us. And he said, I want you to pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Most, most, this is a new, that's the uh, King James version. But the thing about it is, he said, you're to start your prayer out worshiping and honoring God. That's the way we do here. Worshiping and honoring God. See, what God was telling us, he wasn't saying this is what you ought to pray. Listen. He wasn't saying this is what you ought to pray. Jesus was talking to people that was still under the old covenant. He was talking to disciples that was not uh, born again, and he literally was giving them some truths here that they didn't, they they couldn't even conceive really, because he said, "When you pray, uh, say our Father in heaven." Well, all they knew in him was a Jehovah God, and if looking at the past history in the Old Testament, they everything they saw about God was judgment, and 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 even when Moses went up the mountain, if they touched the mountain, they'd die. All kinds of things like this. So when he brought in a new concept of prayer. He was talking to them, listen, you, you gotta, you gotta come into prayer like God's your father. Like he's your father. A caring father. And so he said, may your uh, name be kept holy. And then he says, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth. He said, listen, this is just a, 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 a kind of a guideline for prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, when you pray for your healing, when you pray for your needs, all these things, that's, that, you know, there's no needs in heaven. There's no sickness and disease in heaven. He says, you pray that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said, give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now listen, you can pray that prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this there. And you could go through that whole thing, and that could be the extent of your prayer life. But I'll ask you this, what will be your results? What will be the results? Because it, that was not the, the 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 only thing to pray. I can pray that in about three three what ten seconds maybe. God was giving us a pattern in which to pray. In a in a, this book here, what what, what do I want to read? I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm just gonna go to the latter part of this because you can kind of see kind of answers for itself all those things. But verse twelve says, "Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us." If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will forgive you. Let me let me say this because I'm, I'm out of time. Unforgiveness and bitterness is the number one cause why people do not get their answers, prayers answered. Number one. Let me read what Brother Hagen said in this book. Listen to me. Because God wants your prayers answered. He said this. Jesus taught much about forgiveness during His stay here on earth. And He included forgiveness as one of the essential elements of prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verses 14 and 15, He also said, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you for, will not, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Prayer will not work in an unforgiving heart. We simply cannot hold a grudge against anyone and maintain a prayer life that gets results. I know that to be true. There are many instances where, listen to this. I've just got a few more little things to read. There are many instances where mental confusion and emotional frustration can be attributed to harboring bitterness against others. Doctors have learned that people who hold resentment in their hearts are more susceptible to certain types of diseases. When they can get such patients to rid themselves of their resentment, although they have not responded at all to the medical treatment, in most cases, their trouble clears up. More and more medical science is discovering how closely your inner feelings are related to your physical health. I've heard Christians who were not walking in close fellowship with the Lord tell me how badly that they have been treated by a certain person. They would say, oh yes, I have forgiven him, all right, but I never will forget what he did to me. They really haven't forgiven that person at all. Resentment still lurked in the hidden corners of their heart. You know, if unforgiveness and bitterness, and you know, we are living in a play, in a world that, my goodness gracious, there's so much bitterness and, and hatred and, and uh, unforgiveness in the world. And he says, but you can, if you have that in your heart, you can literally stop the move of God in your prayer life. Sickness and disease, such as that, can come upon people because of it. Listen, it's not worth being bitter. And listen to me, you can't say, well, I forgive them, but I'm not going to forget it. Well, did you know one thing the devil's got on you? He's got that built in your mind, and he can pull it up any time because you're not willing to forgive. You're not willing to let go of it. Forgive means to put out of mind. Did you know that? Forgive means to put out of mind. And if you keep harboring those things, there's a little in your corner of your life. Well, I tell you what, I've forgiven them. And all of a sudden, you see something. All of a sudden, that thing's drug right back up. And all of a sudden, you start talking about it again. You start griping about it again. You start complaining about it again. Why? You never let go of it. You never let go. Now, here's what you can do. Listen, I'm just preaching the way I'm supposed to preach tonight. But you can say when he tries to drag it up, no, 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 I forgave them. I forgave them. You're not going to talk me in to being unforgiving, having unforgiveness against, against them again. I will not. See how you have to talk back? You say, but he's, but he's talking to my mind. Yeah, but if you're going to pull it down, you've got to talk out of your mouth. You gotta say something out of your mouth. You gotta say, I will not listen to me. And every time you drag it up, it's just like tearing a scab off of, of a, of a wound. It causes that much more pain and discomfort in your life. But listen to me. If Jesus thought it was, wasn't important, he wouldn't even put it in there. He even put it in Mark 11, uh, 20, uh, uh, five when he preached one of the greatest messages on, on faith. To forgive. Paul talked a lot about forgiveness. So if we want to have a, a, a an active prayer life and a pro- productive prayer life, we got to make sure our hearts are right. Uh, sometimes we may or just uh, God, listen, God, if there's anything, if I got anything about any, against anybody, just show me right now. Show me right now. Let's get this thing cleared out right now. Let's put it under the blood. Let's get forgiven of this thing right now. And 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 then when you put it under the blood, you know, you say, okay, I, I've been forgiven of it. But listen to me. 
You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to, here's gotta what's gonna be your purpose. I'm gonna forget it. You say, well, that's not easy done. Nobody said it was easy done, but it can be done. I said it can be done. Because if not, you will live constantly under the bondage of that. I found this out. When you're, you have bitterness or unforgiveness against somebody, they're controlling your life. They're in control of your life. You're not. And so our prayer life is very important. And so I, I made a decision a long time ago. I'm not going to live mad and bitter and upset. I want to know when I get on my knees or when I start praying, I'm getting heard by God and I'm going to have an answer to my prayer. Is anybody, anybody would like that? That God wants to answer my prayers and he's going to answer my prayer. I see prayers answered all the time. But I have to, to, listen, I've had plenty of opportunities just like you have to get upset and mad and I have the devil bring things up to me all the time and I just say, I am not going there. Say it with me, I'm not going there. Say it again, I'm not going there. Can you say that when he comes to brings that back to you? Can you say I'm not going there? Because somebody needs to hear what I'm saying right now. You can't even go in your prayer, uh, prayer time without that dominating your thoughts. I'm talking to somebody. You gotta just make that decision. I'm going in there. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind and over this circumstance and situation, and I am not gonna let that control me. Did you realize the more you do that and such, the less and less you'll be thinking about it? For long. It won't even be a part of you. And that will be a glorious day for you. Amen. Amen? So prayer is simple. Prayer is powerful, but we need to know how to do it. We need to understand what we need to let go of, what we need to grab hold of. And so when you read about prayer and you hear about prayer, then you need to say, well, you know, God helped me to pray, teach me to pray. I mean, God can teach you to pray, just like the disciples said, teach me to pray. I want to learn how to pray. And uh, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. We'll talk about that later. Amen. Isn't God good?